KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Monday, March 13th. The U.S. government is making new deals with Pacific nations as tensions with China rise. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. A National City teacher will be in court today after being arrested twice last week on charges of child sexual abuse. Jacqueline Ma was rearrested Thursday on more felony charges of child sexual abuse a day after posting bail from her original arrest. Last year, Ma was named a County Teacher of the Year. President Biden will be in town today to meet with leaders from the UK and Australia. But local immigration advocates are using the opportunity to highlight issues they want to see changed, including getting rid of ICE and halting the building of the border wall in Friendship Park. According to the White House, the three leaders will discuss the Australia, UK and US partnership known as AUKUS. San Diego TV station KUSI says it will appeal a $1.5 million verdict in the lawsuit filed by its longtime anchor, Sandra Moss. In her lawsuit, Moss claimed she was fired after she demanded she be paid the same amount as her male co-anchor. She sued the TV company for gender and age discrimination and for violating California equal pay laws. On Thursday, the jury decided McKinnon Broadcasting did violate the laws but did not discriminate against her. The attorney representing KUSI says he will first file a motion to have the verdict thrown out, and if that doesn't work, the company will appeal. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Strained relations between the U.S. and China have led the U.S. to make deals with other Pacific nations. The agreements with smaller countries are designed to expand American influence in the region, solidify existing relationships, and give the U.S. military more footholds. Jay Price reports for the American Homefront Project. And we're pleased to announce today that President Marcos has approved four new EDCA locations. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin in Manila last month unveiling a new agreement with the Philippines giving the U.S. access to four bases there. And these efforts are especially important as the People's Republic of China continues to advance its illegitimate claims in the West Philippine Sea. That made a big splash. Getting less attention, though, has been a flurry of other deal-making with tiny nations scattered across the Pacific. Three preliminary agreements renew and expand long-term deals with the governments of Palau, the Marshall Islands, and Micronesia. And in February, the State Department opened a new U.S. embassy in the Solomon Islands. It says it's discussing two more embassies in Tonga and Kiribati and negotiating a security agreement with yet another island nation. 
Corporation, Papua New Guinea. Derek Grossman is a senior defense analyst with RAND Corporation. So we are definitely in the business now of trying to maintain the edge that we have influence-wise in the Pacific Islands vis-a-vis China. Many of these smaller nations are part of what's sometimes referred to in geopolitical circles as the Second Island Chain, a vaguely defined group that's farther from the Asian mainland and Chinese missile launchers than, say, Taiwan and Japan, but close enough to help the U.S. project power into the region. And that's why... We have to be friends with these island nations for that eventuality. Gregorio Kalili Camacho Sablan, who represents the Northern Marianas Islands in the U.S. Congress, The second island chain isn't really a chain. It's a patchwork that includes the Northern Marianas and another U.S. territory, Guam, where, not coincidentally, in January, the Marine Corps activated its first new base in 70 years. Sablan calls the recent diplomatic moves in his region an important deterrent to war. He cites speculation he's seen from think tanks. Some people in think tanks already are exhibiting with who's first is going to get destroyed and then who's the second wave and, you know, all of those things, right? We need to strengthen it before we get there. It's unclear how much this will cost. A State Department spokesperson said the U.S. sends Palau, the Marshall Islands, and Micronesia together more than $300 million a year now under deals called Compacts of Free Association. She declined to say how much it's offering in negotiations to renew the 20-year compacts, but leaders of two of the countries have suggested the payments could increase 75% or more. The three nations already are so closely tied to the U.S their citizens can live and work here and get benefits like Medicaid. In return, what we get as the United States is near-exclusive military access to the freely associated states. Again, defense analyst Derek Grossman. And that means, you know, we can set up basing on their territories. We can fly over their territories. We can use 200 nautical mile distance off their shores for military purposes. I mean, there are very few limitations. Grossman says for their part, the island nations have little interest in the maneuvering between the U.S. and China. Instead, they're looking for help with things like bolstering economies damaged by the pandemic and especially dealing with climate change, which they regard as a much larger threat than China. And they've come out, you know, kind of off to the side saying, we get it. We know that this is about competition against China, but we also need to make sure that our own national interests are preserved. And now they've got a little leverage. I'm Jay Price reporting. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. A vending machine in the South Bay is stocked with naloxone, making the life-saving medicine easier to get. Health reporter Matt Hoffman says county officials hope to have a dozen of the machines up and running by the end of June. The vending machine at the McAllister Institute in Chula Vista has one goal, helping to prevent opioid overdose deaths. It dispenses two nasal doses of naloxone. It's commonly known by the brand name Narcan. Carlos Cuervo is program manager for the McAllister Institute. He says anyone can use the vending machine free of charge. It's been up for about a week, and over the last couple of days, we've seen a lot of use and also a lot of just uh, members of the public just coming by to see it. Naloxone is an opioid antagonist or an opioid blocker, so it goes to those receptors in the brain, blocking the opioid, allowing you to breathe. 
Naloxone only reverses opioid overdoses, and it's generally safe. However, it's not a substitute for medical treatment or getting help for addiction. If there's an opioid emergency, people should call 911. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. An audit of San Diego's homeless services found some city facilities were unsafe, unclean, and in disrepair. The report found the shelter at Golden Hall had moldy showers and damaged ceiling tiles. The tile repair took around eight months to fix. Investigators recommend finding a better process for inspections and timely repairs at city-owned shelters. Councilmember Vivian Moreno sits on the city's audit committee. The issue that these recommendations are aiming to improve affect the living conditions of human beings that the city is trying to provide shelter for. Uh, The auditor's findings showed that some conditions in those facilities were not acceptable and potentially hazardous. City officials say they're making progress on improvements and are committed to quickly addressing future safety issues. California is getting a blast of rain from another atmospheric river. And climate watchers say the odds of a stormy winter next year are rising. Environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. The water over the western Pacific is starting to warm after three years of cooler-than-average temperatures. Researchers say that ocean measurements are signaling an El Nino condition, raising the possibility of rough weather next winter. Federal forecaster Tom Diliberto says that could set the region up. The jet stream, the area of fast-moving winds, about 30 to 40,000 feet in the air, which kind of serves as like a storm highway, kind of gets directed more often across the southern tier of the United States, which leads to there being more storms and then more rainfall. But Diliberto says weather patterns are complicated and an El Nino only tips the odds in one direction. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Coming up, how honeybees communicate with each other. We'll have that story and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. For the second time in less than two years, an elementary school in Oceanside is in danger of being closed. Last time, it was a budget issue. But reporter Tanya Thorne tells us this time, the problem is the ground the school sits on. Reynolds Elementary School was slated for a full renovation, but engineers found soil liquefaction happening on the property. During an earthquake, that could make the building sink. The district is recommending the Board of Education close Reynolds Elementary and move the students to nearby campuses. Ashley Gerdo is a Reynolds Elementary parent. I mean, the superintendent, Dr. Vitale, wanted to close our school down years ago. The property is more worth more to them if they were to close it than to invest in it. And there has been no transparency. There's been no second opinion. 
She joined other parents in a rally outside of the district offices on Friday. A special board meeting will be held Monday evening to discuss the future of Reynolds. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. Language communication is often taught to us by our elders. And as SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge tells us, the same is true for honeybees. Biologists who study bees have known that forager bees can find food in the wild and tell others in the hive where it is. The language they use is a dance, a waggle, as it's called, that conveys the direction and the distance to the food. Biological scientist James Nye at UC San Diego wanted to examine whether this behavior was instinctual or learned, so he created a colony where young bees were isolated from older ones. In the experimental colonies, they could never observe other bees waggle dancing. And that's because everybody was the same age. Those juvenile bees later made a lot of mistakes in their waggle dancing. In fact, they never really learned how to communicate the distance to the food. Nye says it shows that bee behavior is greatly affected by the language they learn, and that allows them to quickly adapt to the different environments they have to live in. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Monday. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.